Now, as we dive in to part four of our Thrive series, I want to start with a confession that's going to sound very familiar to our church family. And if you are new with us, this might be a little surprising. It might be so surprising that you think, I need to find another church. <laughs> if so, I understand, OK? Everybody ready for my confession? OK, here we go. So my confession is, I have issues. Those of you who are new, listen to those who are laughing. They've heard me say this before. So I have issues. I have a lot of issues. I have so many issues that in August of last year, we did a whole series, a five-part series based on my issues. And one of the issues that I wrestle with is jealousy. I hate it. I hate that reality in my life. But I can be jealous of other people. I can be jealous of people I know. I can be jealous of people I don't know. Um, one of the reasons I'm careful about my time on social media is I can spend 20 minutes stalking everybody else and then feel bad about my life and be jealous about everybody else's lives. You know, after spending a few minutes uh, seeing all the great vacations and all the great things that everybody else gets to do, I think my life sucks. And so I'm careful about my time on social media. And as I engage with jealousy, I can do some weird things. Now, I can pull away from people that I'm jealous of because their success or whatever's happening good in their lives can make me feel worse about my life. I can be critical of them and find things that, that maybe they aren't good at. Well, hey, they're, they're great at that, but they're not good at this. And somehow, in some weird way, that can make me feel better about myself. Isn't that strange? I can even secretly celebrate when they struggle. All right, so you know, those of you who are new are thinking, I got to find a new church. Like, that pastor's got issues. So I do have issues. And I'm curious, anybody else have issues? All right, um, anybody else battle jealousy? Anybody? All right, those of you who don't have your hands up, I'm jealous of you. <laughs> because apparently, you don't battle jealousy like others of us do. But I think the reality is, is many of us struggle with jealousy. And when we find ourselves jealous, we do weird things. We pull away from the people we're jealous of. We celebrate their struggles and their failures. We find fault with them. Because somehow, in a weird way, that makes us feel a little bit better about ourselves. Today, we're going to see the extreme lengths that some people will go when they battle jealousy. So like I said, today, we're in part four of our Thrive series. And in this series, we're trying to answer one question. The one question is this, how can we thrive in a world that's falling apart? Anybody uh, watch the news or kind of look around the world today and think, man, our world feels like it's falling apart. Anybody feel that way? Yeah, there's a, a lot of just weird, crazy things going on in our world. There's a lot of division and hatred and jealousy. It seems like everybody is offended at everything. We've lost the, the art of critical thinking and having respectful conversations with people that we disagree with. So, so it feels like our world is, is falling apart. And as that is happening, I truly believe that God wants us to thrive in this world. Not just survive, but to thrive. And one of the guys that God has been using to teach us is a guy that lived a long time ago. His name is Daniel. 
He lived about 2,500 years ago. And if you're not familiar with his story, he ended up as a slave in Babylon. So his nation was defeated by the Babylonians, and he was taken as a slave back to Babylon. And Babylon was a wicked culture. And they engaged all kinds of wicked practices in worship of their gods. And Daniel thrived in that culture to the point that he was promoted to high-level positions in four different pagan kingdoms. And I wonder, as a slave, how in the world was that possible? How was he able to thrive in that kind of wicked culture? And that's what we're trying to learn in this series. Now, if you're thinking, like, hey, how can a guy who lived 2,500 years ago know anything about today? And how can he help us today? Well, there are moments when I read Daniel, I feel like I'm reading the daily news. And hopefully, if you're reading Daniel with us, you might see some of those things that feel like are happening today. Some of those things that happened 2,500 years ago feel like they're happening again today. There are many similarities between where the US culture is headed and where the Babylonian culture was. And we're going to see that in a really big way today. So far in this series, Daniel has taught us these things. He's taught us that we can thrive by deciding in advance how we will live. So Daniel didn't wait until he was in that Babylonian culture to figure out whether he was going to live for God and what things of the Babylonian culture he was going to adapt to his life. He decided in advance, I'm going to worship God and obey him no matter what that Babylonian culture throws at me. And God honored him for that. We, he also taught us that we can thrive by staying focused on the mission that God has given us. So we can get distracted by all kinds of lesser missions. But God gave us the one primary mission as his followers to go everywhere telling everyone about Jesus. That's the primary mission that we have. Tell people about Jesus with our life and our words and not get distracted by other missions that are out there. Daniel did that very well. And then we learned that we can thrive by speaking and living truth in love. And we watched Daniel's friends do this. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were threatened with being thrown into a fiery furnace if they didn't bow down and worship King Nebuchadnezzar's statue. And I love their response. They said, oh, King Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to defend ourselves before you. Uh, we just want to make it clear to you, your majesty, we will never bow down to your statue because we only worship the one true God. Well, that ended up getting them thrown into the fiery furnace. And if you were with us last week, we learned that a Christophany happened there. Jesus appeared in that fiery furnace to help them through that experience. And then they got promoted to even higher levels of positions in the Babylonian culture. So they disobeyed the king and they got promoted. How did they do that? Like, that's just crazy. It happened because they stayed true to their faith. They spoke and lived their faith out loud in front of other people. So today we're going to be in Daniel chapter 6, and we're going to learn a fourth way that we can thrive in our world. And at this point in Daniel's life, he's around 80 years of age, and he has served under King Nebuchadnezzar, but now King Darius of the Medo-Persians has taken over. So he's defeated the Babylonians, and we have a new king, we have a new kingdom, and this new king divides his new kingdom into 120 different provinces. So for us, if you would think in the context of counties, so the state of Florida has 60-some counties, I believe, and if you would imagine doubling that, that gives you a context of King Darius's kingdom. 
So he divided his kingdom up in 120 different provinces, and he put uh, rulers over those provinces. And then he took Daniel and two other officials and made them in charge of all of the provinces. But Daniel impressed him so much, he made plans to make Daniel number two in command. So again, get the context. Daniel was a slave from Judah. How can a slave from Judah end up as number two in command in the most powerful uh, uh, nation at that time? How's that possible? Because he thrived spiritually in his relationship with God, and God honored him in doing that. So Daniel chapter 6, verse 4 tells us this. It says, then the other administrators and high officers began searching for some fault in the way that Daniel was handling government affairs. Why would they do that? They were jealous. They were jealous of Daniel and that he was about to be promoted. So they're trying to keep him from being promoted. And I know this is crazy. You've probably never experienced jealousy in a workplace, right? (laughs) Maybe you have. And this kind of stuff still happens today. So Daniel was experiencing that. But then it goes on and it says, but they couldn't find anything to criticize or condemn. He was faithful, always responsible, and completely trustworthy. I don't know about you, but that is amazing to read and deeply convicting. So let me ask you, if someone were to closely examine your work habits, would they find anything to criticize? Would they find that you cut corners? Would they find that you fudge on your timesheet? Would they find that you plagiarize a little bit more on your research paper than you should? Would they find that you lie about the product that you're selling because you desperately need that sale? Would they find that you you do a good enough job, but not a great job at your job? So what would people find if they closely examined your work habits? Here's a reality I think for all of us as Christ followers is how we work says a lot about who we are. It says a lot about our character, our integrity, our relationship with God, and how we work can be an element that makes an impact in other people's eternities. Like, I know that's a big statement. But if you are known at work as the Christian who does a bad job, guess who's not going to turn to you when faith issues arise? Your coworkers. Why would they turn to you for, for faith issues if you do a lousy job at work? So how we work has a direct impact on people's eternities. It's a big deal to God, and it should be a big deal to us. And listen to what Colossians chapter 3 says. Verse 23 tells us that we should work willingly at whatever you do. So when you go to work, and your boss, your supervisor, gives you that task that you don't want to do, do you work willingly at it, at whatever they give? Do you grumble? Do you fuss? Do you mentally call them all kinds of names and hope they don't hear it under your breath? So do you work willingly at whatever you do as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people? Do you go to work that way? Do you go to school that way? Sometimes I do. Sometimes I don't. And that's not a good thing when we don't. So we've got to have this perspective when we work because our work matters more than what we think. 
So Daniel's co-workers couldn't find anything wrong with his work habits, and so they concluded in verse 5, our only chance of finding grounds for accusing Daniel will be in connection with the rules of his religion. So here's what they did. These high officials, they went to King Darius and they said, uh, King Darius, we have agreed together, all of your officials, that you are awesome. You are so awesome, we think you should pass a law that says no one should be able to pray to any other god except you for 30 days. And if anyone does that, they will be thrown into the lion's den. Now, you got to remember that in those pagan cultures, often the king thought they were a god. And so King Darius uh, was flattered by this and said, yes, absolutely. This, this is, sounds like a great law. So he signed this into law. And this was a law that could not be changed, couldn't be revoked. So think about it. A God wouldn't change his mind. A God wouldn't say, hey, this is a law. Oh, nope, I, I made a mistake. Let me change that. So this law could not be changed. Listen to what Daniel did when he heard the new law. Verse 10 says, but when Daniel learned that the law had been signed, he went home and knelt down as usual in his upstairs room with its windows open toward Jerusalem, and he prayed three times a day, just as he had always done, giving thanks to his God. So when Daniel heard that this new law was passed, he didn't hide his faith. He didn't protest and demand his rights. He didn't pray with his windows closed. He prayed the way that he always had prayed with his windows open publicly towards Jerusalem. So for me, that too is amazing. And it is deeply convicting. So Daniel had these regular spiritual habits that he engaged over and over again that helped him stay connected with his God and serve other people around him. And like, just think, this isn't something that Daniel learned in his later years. This is something Daniel had always done. So when he moved to Babylon, he was around 13 years of age. And at this point in the story, he's about 80 years of age. So about 60 or 70 years, Daniel has done this over and over and over and over again. And that convicts my heart. And it makes me ask of myself, it makes me ask of you, if you're a Christ follower, do you have regular spiritual disciplines, spiritual habits that you do over and over and over again? Things that help you stay connected in your relationship with God and with others. Things like prayer and Bible reading, Bible study, Bible meditation, Bible memory, Bible application, serving, worship, regular church attendance, giving, doing life and community with other Christ followers. A spiritual habit or spiritual discipline can be anything that helps us grow spiritually. So do you have regular spiritual disciplines that you engage that help you grow spiritually? Do you pray constantly or do you pray only in a crisis? Do you read your Bible daily or occasionally and always telling yourself, you know what, when I get a little more time, like I'll read my Bible. I have good intentions about reading my Bible. I just don't have enough time today. Do you serve a little here, a little there, telling yourself one day when, when I retire, I'll be able to really serve. And, or maybe I get that promotion, then I'll really be able to, to, to serve in a way that I, I want to. Do you attend church when it fits into your schedule? Or do you fit your schedule around regular church attendance? Now, those questions are not meant to make anybody feel guilty. Again, uh, like I told you earlier, I have issues. And I struggle with some of these, these things myself, even as a pastor. So this might surprise you. 
But this is something that a lot of my pastor friends struggle with as well. So here's what can happen for us. As a pastor, I can read the Bible all the time in preparation for messages, and I cannot read it enough for personal application. I can pray all the time. I pray at church. I pray at home. I pray in small groups. If I'm at an event in our community where prayer is requested, there's a really good chance I'll be asked to pray. I am so used to that. I'm ready to pray all the time. But I can do that in a public context and not pray enough privately in my relationship with God. I can attend church. Why? Because it's part of my job. You would not be happy if I didn't attend church on a regular basis, right? So I can attend church and miss out on really worshiping God and not connecting with other people. We all need regular spiritual disciplines, including spiritual leaders. So if you're a Christ follower, what spiritual disciplines or habits are you engaging in on a regular basis that help you stay connected with God and others? Are you really talking and listening to God? Some of us talk to God too much. We don't listen. I think there's moments that God wants to say to us, zip your lip. <laughs> like you're, you're talking way too much. If you just be quiet for a moment, you would hear what I want you to, to, to know. For others of us, we don't talk enough. We're just so quiet. We're afraid that God's way too busy, doesn't have time for us, and we come up with these weird ideas about God and his care for us. And God says, hey, tell me what's going on in your world. I want to hear it. So are you talking too much? Are you maybe just listening too much? Are you really reading the Bible to apply it to your life? Are you attending church regularly for spiritual growth and how to serve other people? Are you doing life in the context of community? what we call small groups around here are community groups so you can stay connected with others. We all desperately need spiritual disciplines because they help us stay, stay connected with God and others. All right, back to Daniel's story. In Daniel chapter 6, verse 10, it tells us that Daniel prayed like he always did. And verse 11 says, then the officials went together to Daniel's house and found him praying and asking for God's help. So they went straight to the king and reminded him about his law. Did you not sign a law that for the next 30 days, any person who prays to anyone, divine or human, except to you, your majesty, will be thrown into the lion's den? And he said, yes, replied the king. That decision stands. It's an official law of the Medes and Persians that cannot be revoked. Then they told the king, hey, king, like, you remember that guy, Daniel, um, that slave from Judah that you were about to appoint to the second position in command of the kingdom? Yeah, that guy, he's ignoring your law. He's ignoring you. He still prays to his God three times a day. Verse 14 says, hearing this, the king was deeply troubled, and he tried to think of a way to save Daniel. He spent the rest of the day looking for a way to get Daniel out of this predicament. So we see here that the king cared very much for Daniel, and he recognized in that moment that his other officials had tricked him. He took their bait. He took the bait of flattery, and he created this law that he was now regretting. And so he tried everything he could to find a way to save Daniel. He couldn't save Daniel. And so he called Daniel to him and he said, Daniel, may the God whom you serve so faithfully, may he rescue you from the lions. And then he ordered for Daniel to be thrown into the lion's den. Verse 18, 
tells us then the king returned to his palace and spent the night fasting. He refused his usual entertainment and couldn't sleep at all that night. And again, I just find that so fascinating. Here is this pagan king caring so deeply for one of his slaves. Like, how does that happen? I think it happened because God allowed Daniel to thrive spiritually and find favor with the different pagan kings that he served. And so Darius cared so deeply for Daniel. He couldn't sleep at all that night. Early the next morning, he ran out to the lion's den and he shouted, Daniel, servant of the living God, was your God whom you serve so faithfully able to rescue you from the lions? And I'm sure he paused and waited so eager to hear anything. Verse 21 says, Daniel answered, long live the king. My God sent his angel to shut the lion's mouths so that they would not hurt me. For I have been found innocent in his sight. I have not wronged you, your majesty. The king was overjoyed. He pulled Daniel out of the lion's den. And guess what he did next? If you don't know the story, he ordered for his other employees who tricked him to be thrown into the lion's den. And scripture actually teaches they were torn apart before they hit the ground. If you ever thought the Bible was boring, you need to read the Bible more often. It's not boring. There's some amazing stories there. Verse 25 says, then King Darius sent this message to the people of every race and nation and language throughout the world, peace and prosperity to you. I decree that everyone throughout my kingdom should tremble with fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God and he will endure forever. His kingdom will never be destroyed and his rule will never end. He rescues and saves his people. He performs miraculous signs and wonders in the heavens and on earth, and he has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. Verse 28 says, so Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Again, Daniel thrived in four different pagan kingdoms by living out his faith and consistently engaging spiritual disciplines that helped him stay connected to God no matter what crazy laws were passed around him. Now here's the reality for us. And I think this applies whether you're a Christ follower or not. In today's world, as our world continues to unravel itself, there will be laws that are passed that will go against your beliefs or our faith system. There will be. I didn't say there may be. I said there will be. Today, wrong is being viewed as right. Right is being viewed as wrong. And as this happens, we need to decide how we will live our faith. Are we going to live our faith or compromise our faith? Are we going to live our convictions or compromise our convictions? Will we continue to pray publicly, symbolically, like Daniel, with our windows open toward Jerusalem? Will we continue to read the Bible and apply it to our lives knowing that it is the source of absolute truth for how God wants us to live? Will we worship together? Will we serve others inside and outside the church? Will we let our faith shine out for all to see? Or will we hide our faith? Now, here's just one example of a law that has been passed that violates many of our faith beliefs and just good common sense beliefs. And you may be familiar with this. In March of this year, Isabel von Spruce was arrested in England a second time 
for praying in her head outside an abortion clinic. So there was a law that was passed that there could be no protesting within so many feet of an abortion clinic. And she was inside that zone, and she wasn't protesting. She wasn't confronting anyone. She was standing there praying quietly to herself and to her God. And she was confronted by law enforcement, asked what she was doing. She said, I'm praying in my head. And she was arrested for that. You can look up the video of her arrest online if you're curious to, to, to check that out. And again, that's just one example of laws that are being passed or will be passed that go against our faith and go against many people's beliefs. There is this subculture in our culture today called the woke culture. There's the, the woke culture is trying to woke us up to many social justice issues that are out there. And I do think there are social justice issues that need to be addressed, but I don't think we need to be woke up. I think we need to be awakened spiritually to what's happening in our world. And I think we need to come alive spiritually. And as these laws get passed, we have decisions to make. Again, how are we going to respond? Are we going to accept everything that's coming at us? Things that, that are being forced on us, different ideologies? Are we going to compromise our faith? Are we going to aggressively fight against those things and those people, possibly pushing those people away from the God who loves them? Or are we going to respond like Daniel and live out our faith as we always do? I think one of the good things about our crazy world right now is it is forcing us to decide whether we are really going to live for God or not. I think the days of casual Christianity are quickly coming to an end, if not have already come to an end. And I think that's a good thing because casual Christianity is dangerous. With casual Christianity, we think, you know, I can serve God when I want. I can you know, pray a little bit here, read the Bible a little bit there. I've got good intentions. I'm a good person. You know, all is good you know, with me and my relationship with God and other people. You know, I'll shine my light occasionally, uh, but I don't really have to live my faith. And, and casual Christianity um, leads to weak faith, and it leads to a decline in faith. But when our faith is rattled, our faith is shaken, our faith is tested, we have to decide, am I going to live my faith or not? So I think the fence of faith is being shaken right now. And it's a good thing, because it's helping a lot of us decide, hey, am I going to really live my convictions or am I not? And I believe that God can help us thrive in our world right now. He can help us thrive spiritually as we decide to live our faith like Daniel did. Now, in just a minute, our worship team's gonna close in a song called Christ Be Magnified. It's a great song about us asking Christ to be magnified in how we live. And so I encourage you during this final song to just have a conversation with God about whether he is being magnified in your life. You know, at school or home, or work, when people see you, do they see you doing regular habits that help you stay connected with God and others? If they were to closely examine your life, would they find anything to criticize about how you work or, or about how you go to school? Or would they say, man, I can't find anything to criticize about that person? They, they work with integrity. They engage consistent spiritual disciplines that help them stay connected with God and, and serve other people. So have a conversation with God about 
how Christ is being magnified in your life, and then have a conversation with him about some of the spiritual disciplines that you may need to engage on a regular basis. I encourage, encourage you to just pick one or two, just one or two things that'll help you grow in your rela- relationship with God and be like Daniel. Do that over and over and over again. And if we do that, I think God will bless us because of that. So if you would, stand with me. We're going to pray, and then we're going to sing. God, it is so amazing to read the book of Daniel and to realize that, Lord, it seems like we're reading the daily news. There's all kinds of crazy things that happen to Daniel, and there's all kinds of crazy things that are happening in our world today. And as those crazy things happen, we need to stay focused on the mission that you've given us. We need to stay faithful to engage regular spiritual disciplines, spiritual habits that'll help us stay connected with you and serve other people. Lord, there's a lot of temptation out there today. There's a lot of decisions that we have to make. And Lord, I truly believe that you are allowing these things to shake the fence of faith. And as you shake that fence, it's causing us to decide whether we're really in with you or we're really not. And Lord, I pray that we would step towards you. I pray that we would boldly live out our faith. I pray that we would be like Daniel and engage these consistent spiritual disciplines that will point people towards you. So Lord, help us to live like Daniel. Lord, we pray that you would be glorified in everything that we do, whether we're at home, whether we're at school, whether at work, wherever we go, May you be glorified in us. In Jesus' name we pray this. Amen.